there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Imagine for a minute history's most famous physicists. Albert Einstein, Werner Heisenberg, Niels Bohr. The field of physics is full of brilliant minds whose work helped us better understand the building blocks of our universe and who became legends in the process. But there is one scientist who is continually left out of the conversation. Ettore Majorana, the Italian theoretical physicist, was considered by his peers to possess a genius on par with Isaac Newton or Galileo Galilei. His groundbreaking work led to the discovery and acknowledgement of antiparticles. He even hypothesized the existence of the neutron a year before another scientist won a Nobel Prize for discovering it. Despite all that, Ettore Majorana's work has long been overshadowed by the dark legacy and mystery he left behind. In 1938, Ettore Majorana boarded a boat that set out from Sicily across the Mediterranean Sea. When the boat docked, Ettore wasn't on board. His body was never found. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Molly. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to ParCast.com slash merch for more information. You can listen to previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on the disappearance of Ettore Majorana, the Italian physicist who led a brief but brilliant career before suddenly vanishing in 1938 at the age of 31. All attempts to locate Ettore Majorana have failed, but there are a number of interesting theories about what happened to him. In this episode, we're going to discuss Ettore Majorana's life and the story of his disappearance. Next week, we'll discuss the main theories as to what really happened and try to determine where Ettore Majorana went. 
famous geniuses often like to emphasize that they came from humble beginnings. Ettore Majorana was not one of them. Ettore was born on August 5, 1906, in Catania, a city in the Sicily region of Italy. His grandfather, Salvatore, had brought himself up from nothing to become a successful lawyer, economist, and politician. As such, Ettore was born into privilege. He spent his early years moving between his family's multiple homes across Italy. His father, Fabio, was a successful engineer, and his mother, Dorina, devoted her time to raising Ettore and his four siblings. He was, by most accounts, a shy, focused child who showed an aptitude for mathematics from an early age. Ettore could reportedly multiply three-digit numbers and deduce exact square roots, all in his head. But whenever he was prompted with a math question, he would hide under a table or a bed or in a closet so that he could do his calculations in private. Ettore's parents expected great things from him, and it was likely the weight of those expectations that led to an intense social awkwardness at a young age. He had few friends. His tendency to isolate himself was a habit that would stick with him for the rest of his life. Ettore attended school in Catania until 1921, when he was 15. In that same year, his family made their house in Rome their primary residence. The young Ettore then finished his primary schooling in Rome and then set out to follow in his father's footsteps and become an engineer. He obtained his diploma in engineering from the University of Rome in 1925 when he was 19, then enrolled in a three-year postgraduate program. But he never finished his engineering degree. In 1927, Ettore became friends with a group of fellow students and teachers who would come to be known as the Via Panisperna Boys. They got their name from a street in the town where the university was located. This was a group primarily made up of physicists and was unofficially led by Enrico Fermi, the man who would go on to create the first-ever nuclear reactor. They were young, brilliant men who were looking to push the boundaries of understanding in the field of physics. Physics at that time was experiencing a boom among the scientific community. The growing field of quantum physics studied the world at an atomic and subatomic level. The world's top scientists were beginning to grasp the sheer scope of possibility that existed within the atom. The Via Panisperna boys were looking for like-minded geniuses to join them, and they wanted Ettore in their group. Ettore didn't necessarily fit in socially. Now 21, the college-aged Ettore was intense and private, as he had been as a child. His somewhat gangly frame made him look awkward. He didn't have to work hard to avoid social interaction. But he was drawn to the challenge that the field of physics provided. Engineering was finite, but physics, by its very definition, was infinite. The subject also gave Ettore a prime space to show off his intellect. One story goes, when Ettore first met with Fermi to discuss joining the physics school, Fermi showed Ettore an equation that attempted to explain the density between an atom and an electron. The whole group had been struggling to solve the equation. Fermi showed Ettore his attempts, and Ettore took Fermi's notes and abruptly left. 
Ettery returned the next day and congratulated Fermi in front of the entire group for not having made any mistakes. Ettery explained that Fermi was on the right track. He just needed help in simplifying the equation. He then transcribed the equation and simplified it for the group. They were all shocked. Ettery, for his own part, reveled in the experience of solving an equation that had stumped the other Via Panisperna boys. Shortly after he wowed the room, he made a life-changing decision. At the end of 1927, he abandoned his engineering major and transferred to the University of Rome's physics program. The move didn't sit particularly well with Ettery's parents. Fabio saw engineering as a respectable field because it dealt in easily defined math and calculations. Physics was a largely theoretical field that dealt in imaginary concepts and unproven hypotheses. It was more prone to falling into pseudoscience. Interestingly, Ettery's own uncle Zio was a physicist who was best known for refusing to accept Albert Einstein's theory of relativity, even after the scientific community and the world had. So... You could say Ettery's family had a complicated relationship with physics. But from an early age, Ettery had proven that, while quiet, he was decisive and headstrong and wasn't one to be talked out of something once he made up his mind. He began his first physics classes in 1928. The Via Panasperna boys seemed to have the time of their lives during their years at university. Albert Einstein's theory of relativity had brought the field into the forefront of the public consciousness, and the University of Rome essentially gave their brightest students free reign to study, experiment, and publish as they saw fit. When they weren't working in their labs, the young men hung out at cafes, debating the pressing scientific and political matters of the day, and poking fun at each other's work and eccentricities. Ettery joined them once he transferred into the physics program, though it would be a stretch to state that he was close friends with any of them. It's actually a stretch to say Ettery was friends with anybody. Though he had a few close correspondences in his life, Ettery was generally seen as a loner. But he was a genius. Decades before science could rely on computers, the Via Panisperna boys trusted Ettery for their calculations because he could always be relied on to do complex math in his head whenever someone needed help with an equation. It was the general consensus that Ettery was easily the smartest of the bunch, and Ettery certainly thought so. Though he was generally antisocial, he did enjoy his time with the group as an opportunity to showcase his own intellect. Ettery even got in the habit of spending his private time working out equations. After a few days, when he was around his fellows, he would act suddenly inspired and solve those same equations as if he had just come up with the answers spontaneously. So you can see how that kind of showing off wasn't exactly the most popular with his peers, which suited Ettery just fine. Contrary to what his theatrics might imply, Ettery hated attention. One of the most baffling and most frustrating things about him was that he rarely published his own work. While Fermi and the other physicists in the group were constantly publishing their theories, Ettore Majorana made a point to avoid going public with his finds. He felt that drawing attention to himself invalidated the purity of the scientific pursuit. 
In reality, his pressing need for privacy in his own life may have prevented him from wanting to draw attention to himself. From 1928 to 1933, Ettore Majorana rose to prominence as a bright mind among a community of bright minds. He didn't care for the acclaim. In fact, Ettore spent much of his short scientific career trying to avoid the spotlight. He'd even withhold groundbreaking scientific theories just so that he didn't have to deal with the publicity. The key example here involved the neutron, the neutrally charged particle that exists in nearly every atom. We know today that atoms are made of protons, electrons, and neutrons. But in Ettore's time at school, only protons and electrons were proven to exist. Prominent physicists of the time were starting to suspect that another particle existed in the atom, but it was actually Ettore who first proposed the existence of a neutral atomic particle. He even wrote a paper about his theory, which he didn't publish. Fermi and the rest of the Via Panisperna boys were furious. Some months after Ettore wrote his paper, Prominent German physicist Werner Heisenberg published a theory about the neutron, which, unbeknownst to Heisenberg, largely repeated a lot of what Ettore had already privately proposed. But Ettore was relieved when Heisenberg's paper came out. Now there was less pressure on him to publish his groundbreaking piece. In Ettore's own words, now Heisenberg has done everything. Word of Ettore's genius eventually reached Heisenberg, who was among the most famous scientists in the world at that time. He was credited with a major role in establishing the field of quantum mechanics and had already been awarded a Nobel Prize in 1932 for his work. Now, Heisenberg wanted to meet Ettore. He sent an invitation for Ettore to study with him in Germany. This marked the beginning of a friendship that would seem to finally open Ettore up to the world and ultimately lead him to drastic isolation. We'll discuss the last known years of Ettore Majorana after this. Now back to the story. By the early 1930s, 26-year-old Ettore Majorana had made a reputation for himself as a physics genius. Although Ettore disliked publishing his own work, he had managed to put out a few papers since joining the University of Rome's Physics Institute in 1928. He'd gained acclaim for his early studies on spectrometry, the study of atomic particles. He also came to be known as a genius among geniuses, though his refusal to publish his own groundbreaking work infuriated his fellow scientists. Ettore Majorana was one of the first people to propose the existence of the neutron. He refused to publish his theory and thus was not credited for years. Most who knew him or studied him agree that if he'd wanted to, Ettore Majorana would have been the first man to prove the existence of the neutron. Instead, another scientist named James Chadwick went on to prove the existence of the neutron in 1932 and was awarded with a Nobel Prize. Some, including Zhuo Magaju, author of the Ettore Majorana biography, A Brilliant Darkness, argue that in a just world, Ettore Majorana should have won that prize. But Ettore was utterly disinterested in praise or acclaim. 
Though it's never been proven, it's likely that this behavior had something to do with Ettery's childhood neurosis. He was immensely private and had a tendency to isolate himself. But one period where Ettery actually allowed himself to break out of his own comfort zone began in 1933 when he traveled to Germany to make the acquaintance of one Werner Heisenberg. Ettery joined the Physics Institute in Leipzig, Germany, at the beginning of 1933. He fell in with Heisenberg, and by all accounts, the two became close friends. Heisenberg even helped Ettery loosen up. Heisenberg was a man who enjoyed life as often as he could. He drank, he danced, he flirted. He was as involved in Leipzig's nightlife as he was in his own studies. More importantly to Ettery, though, Heisenberg was a philosopher— Fermi and the other Via Panasperna boys approached physics problems based on what they knew to be factually correct. But Heisenberg's method of study was rooted in the philosophical questions that drove physics, rather than concrete ideas. He preferred to approach problems based on what could be possible, regardless of whether it was likely. He was much more at his speed. And with a like-minded soul at his side, Ettery really seemed to come into his own. He started socializing, writing letters to his friends and family. He even started to get serious about publishing and put out a number of studies on atomic particles in 1933. It would not be a stretch to state that this was the happiest period of Ettery Majorana's entire life. It wouldn't last. Though 1933 was a somewhat stable, enjoyable period for Ettery, the same could not be said for the world at large. The month that Ettery arrived in Germany, Adolf Hitler became chancellor. The Nazis' rise to power led to an Aryan-centric movement that attempted to discredit the work of Jewish scientists, namely Albert Einstein. The scientific community of Europe was being rocked by the political turmoil that signaled the coming Second World War. Ettore was a member of Italy's fascist party. Mussolini's Italy was aligned with Nazi Germany, and yet Ettore, always so private, made an effort to not broadcast his politics or comment on the concerning Nazi agenda. But as he became more well-known among the scientific community and within the government, he joined the party so as not to be seen as a potential dissident. It's unclear how Ettery would have fared in Germany as that country became embroiled in Nazi ideology. But Ettery didn't stay in Germany for long. Shortly before he moved there, Ettery had done something that would come back to haunt him. Back in 1932, just before Ettery had left Italy to join Heisenberg at the Physics Institute, Ettery had published a scientific theory that refuted the work of a physicist named Paul Dirac. Paul Dirac was an English theoretical physicist who had published a theory in the late 1920s. He proposed that matter in atomic particles had corresponding antimatter. Essentially, the energy within atoms was dual, And thus, every particle had an opposite. But Ettery believed that there was an infinite spectrum of particles within atomic fields, and it was highly unlikely that each particle had its own corresponding antiparticle. He published his own take on the matter in 1932, which proposed that most of Dirac's theory was false. 
Ettore was the more popular scientist at the time, especially among the Italian and German scientific communities, and a number of his peers believed him over Dirac. But then, in 1933, when Ettore was living in Germany, an American physicist named Carl Anderson claimed to have discovered the positron, which Dirac had proposed was the antimatter counterpart to the electron. Whereas the proton was made of matter, the positron was made of antimatter, yet also carried a positive charge. Anderson's claim was disregarded until spring of 1933, when more physicists working off of his and Dirac's equations came to the same conclusion. Dirac was right. Ettore was wrong. By all accounts, Ettore didn't have much to feel down about. The research and theories on matter-antimatter relationships had all been theoretical, and a hazard of being a theoretical physicist was proposing ideas that end up being wrong. But Ettore didn't take the incident well at all. He quickly fell into a deep depression. The world around him seemed to make little sense. His strong scientific instinct, which he had once thought was infallible, had failed him. And the Nazi and fascist movements in Germany and his native Italy were growing more concerning by the day, particularly as the Nazis started persecuting and discrediting Jewish scientists. Ettore wasn't Jewish, but he could hardly stand to see viable work be thrown out just because of who had done it. It is suspected that the culmination of these factors led Ettore to begin a self-imposed exile, much like he had done when he was a child. He locked himself up in his room in Germany and stopped going out. His old friends, the Via Panisperna boys, tried to break through to Ettore by sending him letters and urging him to resume his scientific pursuits. Ettore wanted to be left alone, and so he did something unforgivable. In mid-1933, Ettore sent a letter to Emilio Segre, one of the Via Panisperna boys, who happened to be Jewish. In the letter, Ettore playfully endorsed some of Hitler's more radical ideals and even frankly discussed the concept of the final solution, which we now know would eventually lead to the Holocaust. It's unlikely that Ettore believed what he was writing. There are other correspondences from around the same time where he expressed his own disdain and concerns over Nazi fanaticism. He was almost definitely trying to say something so hateful, so unforgivable, that his former friends would just leave him alone. The ploy worked. The Via Panisperna boys were disgusted by Ettore's words and cut all ties with him. Ettore had gotten what he wanted, complete isolation and distance from everyone who once considered him a friend. He never spoke on whether he regretted this move. But he wasn't done. It was not enough to sever his relationships with his friends. As Maguizu writes, Ettore, quote, wanted to break with the world, not just with the boys. He left Germany in August of 1933 and went back to Rome. He took up residence in one of his family's homes that was, at the time, unoccupied. And thus, he began his life as a recluse. He stayed there for the next four years. He hardly left his room. His family would come to visit and stay in the house, 
but he would hardly acknowledge them except for when it was time to pick up his meals. Ettore spent nearly all his time working away at his desk. On what? His family couldn't say. He stopped grooming himself. His beard and hair grew out. His family and friends would pay for barbers to come to the house to clean him up. If he was in the right mood, he would begrudgingly allow them to cut his hair. Some have proposed that Ettore had suffered a nervous breakdown. But that seems unlikely. Ettore worked furiously throughout his isolation. Though he ultimately was a recluse for four years, there are documents indicating he had considered teaching classes at Via Panisperna as early as 1935, only two years after he shut himself off from the world. He also seemed to be actually ill, at least for a part of this isolation period. Ettore suffered from acute gastritis, a stomach disease, and spent an unspecified amount of time bedridden. Ettore continued his work in private, and evidence suggests that he branched out into other fields of science, including biology. But in exploring other interests, Ettore unintentionally barred himself from one of the most significant breakthroughs in the field of physics that happened during his lifetime. Although perhaps it was intentional, this particular breakthrough would lead to nothing short of annihilation. Up next, we'll discuss Ettore's return from exile and his final voyage. Now back to the story. Ettore Majorana, the troubled genius physicist, abandoned his professional life and his friends in 1933 and entered a period of self-imposed isolation that would last four years. During that time, his former colleagues and friends, the Via Panisperna boys, led by Enrico Fermi, discovered the means to bring about uranium fission. In March of 1934, they performed an experiment that led to artificially created radiation. In short, the Via Panisperna boys had just unlocked the tools that would lead to the nuclear bomb. The boys' work in uranium fission over the course of 1934 was unexpected and groundbreaking. It built upon a broader scientific movement at the time that was heading toward unlocking the secret of atomic energy. But they failed to hit a point of such success after that. Italy was becoming a more and more uncertain place with the growing presence of Mussolini's fascist government. Italian scientists were forced to grapple with the reality that their work may be used to help Italy and, by extension, Nazi Germany in the coming war. By 1937, the Via Panisperna boys had all but disbanded as they separately relocated to Allied countries in preparation for the brewing war. In an instance of noteworthy timing, Ettore Majorana ended his exile at around the same time. In 1937, a number of high-profile teaching positions opened up at the University of Palermo in Italy. The school's administration put forth a contest, with the winners being named as the new professors. After four years of barely leaving his house, Ettore Majorana shaved, cut his hair, bought new clothes, and returned to the world with an intent to secure the position. Ettore had been away from the scientific community for four years. He'd hardly written a personal letter, much less published anything new. He was aware that he would need something groundbreaking if he was going to win the deciding committee over. 
Recall that Ettery loved theatrics. He loved to prepare his bursts of scientific genius in advance so that he could own the moment. He clearly still had that instinct. And he had the bombshell paper he needed to get the reaction he wanted. Ettery revisited his work from 1932, the same work that he had published, in part, in his rebuttal to Dirac's theory about antimatter. He'd been revising it over the previous four years. Now, rather than propose that Dirac was false, Ettery set forth that Dirac was partially right. The paper didn't outright reverse the previous stance that Dirac was wrong. Ettery still needed the world to know he was a smarter scientist. The paper was called Symmetrical Theory of the Electron and Positron. The paper is best known for outlining the role of the neutrino, the weak neutral subatomic particle that is among the smallest in existence. The neutrino and the neutron differ because they're made of different subatomic materials. The neutrino's existence provided deeper understanding of the kind of radiation that the sun gives off. The paper is still considered to be Ettery's most significant contribution to the field of physics. Though the neutrino wasn't proven to exist for decades, Ettery almost certainly would have proved its existence much sooner, if he hadn't vanished. And yet, he ended up not getting the teaching job. He got a better job. The deciding committee felt the momentous occasion of one of Italy's top scientists returning to the fold deserved a special consideration. They put forth a proposal that a new position be created for Ettery at the more prestigious University of Naples. The proposal was approved, and Ettery was given a chair position at the university with a professorship and a larger-than-common salary. For Ettery, the position must have felt like he was starting anew. He had sought to return to the world of science and academia, and he had been embraced. He began work on January 13, 1938, by giving a lecture on his knowledge to a handful of staff. This was part of an Italian custom in which a new professor shows that he has a grasp of the subject he's been tasked with teaching. He impressed the staff, and his class commenced. His class that term had only five students, all of whom he claimed to like well enough in his personal notes. But though he liked them personally, Ettery noted a creeping sense of dissatisfaction in his interactions with the class. He found himself often having to dumb down his speech and lessons so that they were easier to understand. He longed for the days he spent with Heisenberg when he could put his full intellect on display. But simplifying the lessons worked. His students liked him. To them, he was a kind and helpful teacher. He got back in the habit of writing to his family, which is part of how we know so much about his routine during his final days in Naples. And that routine was, well, normal. He went to work, he taught, he graded assignments, he maintained friendly relations with his colleagues. There was one blip of bizarre activity in early March of 1938, when he suddenly withdrew a large sum of money from the bank account he shared with his parents. But other than that, nothing seemed truly out of the ordinary. On March 25, 1938, a woman named Gilda Senatore appeared in Ettore's classroom for the regular class. It was an odd sight at that time, 
Women in Italy didn't generally go to college, much less study under one of the most brilliant physicists the modern age had ever known. But Gilda was one of Ettore's five students in the last class he ever taught. Ettore approached Gilda before class and handed her a box of papers which he asked her to keep for him. She agreed. She liked Ettore and he seemed to think she was a good student. He left and she never saw him again. Gilda is actually one of the last people on record to have seen him alive. What follows is a loosely put-together account of the final hours of Ettore Majorana. That night, for reasons known only to him, Ettore boarded a boat to take him from Naples across the sea to Palermo, a trip that takes around 10 hours. He stayed in Palermo for a day, then purchased a ticket to return to Naples early on Sunday morning. He boarded the boat at Palermo and set sail back for Naples on an overnight ferry. When the boat arrived back in Naples, Ettore was not on board. His absence was first noticed the following Tuesday, March 29th, when he didn't show up for class. The search for Ettore soon placed him on the boat, and the police disregarded the disappearance as an obvious case of suicide. The only answer seemed to be that he had jumped off the boat in transit and drowned. But Ettore's family, wealthy as they were, and set a real investigation in motion. Their efforts were in vain. Even after 80 years of searching, no one has found Ettore Majorana. It's possible, maybe even likely, that he simply got what he always wanted to be alone. Ettore Majorana's disappearance is now considered to be one of the great tragedies of scientific history. One can only imagine how the course of physics, really the course of all history, might have been impacted if he had continued his work for decades more. In our next episode, we will discuss the fallout of Ettore Majorana's disappearance and the theories about what happened to him. The first theory is that the police were right from the start and that Ettore committed suicide by jumping off the boat. The second theory is that Ettore was kidnapped by agents of a foreign government who wanted to use his knowledge of neutron particles to help build some kind of nuclear device. And the final, most popular theory is that Ettore Majorana simply walked away from his life and everything he had ever known. He changed his name, cut all ties with his friends and family, and lived the rest of his life as a different man, in solitude. Ettore Majorana vanished just before the start of World War II. Seven years after his disappearance, his chosen field of physics would produce the atomic bomb, which in turn led to the desolation of the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Besides the intentionally hurtful, pro-Nazi letter he wrote during his self-imposed isolation, Ettore had always kept his politics to himself. One can only guess how he really felt about his fellow scientists creating a device capable of such massive destruction. Ettore spent a lot of time alone, considering the possibilities and implications of his work. He was a nervous, fussy man, and one can imagine how he took the idea of atomic detonation. And maybe, just maybe, he chose to remove himself from the conversation. But that's a discussion for our next episode. We'd like to thank A Brilliant Darkness 
by Zhuo Mageju, among other sources, for much of the biographical material on Ettore Majorana featured in this episode. If you're interested in further information on Ettore, we'd highly recommend A Brilliant Darkness. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Thursday with Part 2 of The Disappearance of Ettore Majorana. You can find all previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help us. Well, if you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by David Turk, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Unexplained Mysteries is written by Colin McLaughlin and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.